Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you are listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. If there's one thing in my experience of seeing the expression of Marian devotion of different people is by their ethnic background. And as I observe different ethnicities and their devotion to Mary, it's always remarkable to see what great trust they put in her intercession. I think especially of the Latinos with Our Lady of Guadalupe, but I went to school at Mundelein Seminary and knew a lot of Polish seminarians and they had a great devotion to Our Lady of Czestochowa and many other Polish Marys as well. And their devotion has always impressed me. And that's why I was very interested when Marian Press sent me a book in the mail called The Way of Mercy, A Pilgrimage in Catholic Poland, that I wanted to have this conversation and to especially align it with right around the time that we would be celebrating Divine Mercy Sunday. The book is by biblical theologian Stephen Binns, and he joins me today. So thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you, Father Edward. Thank you for having me. Yeah, actually, uh, we've met once at least in person. Uh, my right. bishop, uh, Bishop David Ricken, is yes. uh, a fan of yours, and he brought you in one time to speak at our clergy convocation. And then uh, we've also exchanged emails as well uh, over the years. So we'll. Right. Uh, I look forward to this conversation. But, uh, you know, I came to know of you because of your work with the Bible, preaching the scriptures. I think that's why the bishop brought you in that really help enhance our preaching and understanding of the scriptures. So uh, I'm just curious, how did you get involved in biblical scholarship? Yeah, I, I uh, went to the University of Dallas, which is a very fine Catholic university, and uh, majored in, in English. But, but at the university, everyone takes what's called the core curriculum, a lot of philosophy and theology and literature and history. And, uh, and, and I just, I'm just got fascinated with, with uh, theology and particularly uh, the scriptures. I actually majored in, in English, but that was uh, the perfect entrance uh, ramp for biblical studies. And, uh, you know, approaching it from a, a literary background was just a wonderful way to enter into a study of, of uh, biblical theology. So that's how I got started and, um, and have been, um, you know, mostly involved in Catholic publishing through the years. And I've developed uh, now in, in the last 20 years, actually threshold Bible study, which is being used by people throughout the country. And it's even uh, translated into Chinese. So um, I, I'm just uh, very grateful for the ways in which the Lord has has used my my biblical background and and my love for the scriptures. And as a person who's studied the Word of God and reflected on it quite a bit, and I'm sure you're well read, you've read lots of different scholarship and theologians out there on the Word of God. Uh, for example, for me, I, I've been studying the Cistercian writers for a very long time. And so Bernard of Clairvaux, Aylred of Raveau, Isaac of Stella. And so I read a lot of their sermons. And so I understand how they saw the word of God. Now, in your own study of the sacred scriptures, I'm curious, is there something you've learned that everybody should know that you don't think we know? <laughs> um you know, I, I would say that um, 
that what I have come to understand, I think through probably through the patristic writers, first of all, you know, that early encounter of the church with the sacred scriptures um, is the, the transforming power of, of the word of God. And, and that really has been my, my life. Uh, you know, I, I think that I draw upon the, the ancient writers and the early tradition, Lexio Divina and others, uh, but try to, tr uh, you know, uh, take that into the modern day and combine that with uh, contemporary scholarship. And so my, my work, Threshold Bible Study, is really a, a combination of that ancient um, Lectio Divina and founded in the, in the fathers of the church, but, uh, but uh, brought into contemporary experience through good uh, contemporary Catholic uh, biblical scholarship. Yeah, you mentioned the transforming power of the word of God, and that's something that really strikes me, especially in the life of uh, St. Anthony of the Desert, that he walked into a church, heard the gospel proclaimed, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And those words that Jesus spoke so many years earlier touched him in that moment, and he went and he did just that, and he withdrew into the desert to a life of prayer. And so for him, that was a transforming experience of hearing the word of God and then putting it into practice. Yeah, for sure. The, the Desert Fathers and, and the, uh, the theologians through history, their, their focus on the word and their encounter with the Lord through the sacred scriptures, that, that's such a powerful thing. And, and what I want uh, to do through my work is to allow everyone to be able to experience that. You know, that, that, that was really one of the central purposes of the Second Vatican Council. You know, we all think of the liturgical renewal, but, but it's really, uh, it's also the sacred scriptures. Lumen Gentium said, open wide the scriptures for all the people of God. And that's, you know, that's what I've been trying to do for the last, oh, you know, 40 years of my life uh, to, to help the church in my own small way to open wide the scriptures. And, uh, and those uh, early encounters of, of the saints and theologians can be a model for us. But, but what, what, what God wants is for that to impact the life of every Christian, every Catholic. And uh, we've, we've come a long way in the last 40, 50 years as Catholics in, in our understanding of, and uh, use of the scriptures. But, but, um, but God wants the, the uh, reflective study of scripture to be a part of, of the life of every Catholic. I, I love this uh, uh, Pope Benedict. Uh, uh, I, I love his biblical writings. And in one of the most important documents of his papacy, his apostolic exhortation, Verbum Domini, uh, he said this, and this is just a one sentence, but it's so encouraging, I think, for all of us in the church. He said, I express my heartfelt hope for the flowering of a new season of greater love for sacred scripture on the part of every member of the people of God, so that their prayerful and faith-filled reading of the Bible will, with time, deepen their personal relationship with Jesus. Mm. I think that's just, just a, such a beautiful exhortation, and it's aimed at, at every one of us, you know, a, a, a renewed love for sacred scripture, which will lead us into a deeper relationship with Christ. 
one of these ways that really we come to know the scriptures is not only through our reading, but really, I maybe I'm mistaken, but sometimes I think the Holy Land is called the fifth gospel. That, yes. that uh, when you go on a pilgrimage to the Holy Land and you are on the boat on the Sea of Galilee, or you're walking the streets of Jerusalem, or you're there in Nazareth, what we've read in the gospels comes alive. And I know that you've done pilgrimages uh, to the Holy Land. In fact, I remember one time you wrote me about my book, A Rosary Litany, and wanting to use it uh, during a pilgrimage. And uh, so I was very touched by that. And uh, I did a pilgrimage myself to the Holy Land using a rosary litany, praying it there. Uh, but uh, as you've visited the Holy Land, how have the scriptures come alive for you there? You know, I think that um, that idea of, of the Holy Land as the fifth gospel is, is so powerful because it really is a way to encounter Christ in the word. Um, it's not a necessary way. You know, that's very important for us as Christians to realize, you know, unlike other many other religions where pilgrimage is, is an integral part of the faith, uh, almost a requirement of the faith. Uh, for us as, uh, as Christians, it's, it's not. But um, because, you know, there's that, that whole idea that we, we realize in the New Testament that the temple, the temple is Christ. And so to go on pilgrimage is to encounter Christ. So our whole life is a pilgrimage. Any place, every place can be a, a pilgrimage, a, a place to encounter the Lord. Um, you know, Jesus said to the, to the Samaritan woman, you know, worship neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, you know, worship in spirit and in truth. Um, uh, so, you know, it was, it's not a particular place. It's not even in Jerusalem where the great temple is, but it's wherever we encounter Christ. And so the greatest pilgrimage is when we, when we go to mass, when we receive the Lord in the Eucharist, um, that's, that's the height of encountering the Lord in our pilgrimage way. But nevertheless, uh, God chose the Holy Land to be the place where he would come and enter into our humanity. You know, just as God chose a particular woman, uh, Mary, to be the mother of Christ, uh, God chose the Holy Land. He chose the, the tradition of Israel, the Jewish people into which he would enter the world. And we don't know all the reasons for that, but, but, uh, but when we go to the Holy Land, I always remind people, this is the, this is the place that God chose to enter into our, hum into our humanity, into our human history. Um, and um, I remind them, you know, when we, when we land, this is the intersection between Europe and Asia and Africa. You know, there's an ancient map where Jerusalem is right at the center of the three great uh, continents. And, um, and for that reason, and for many others, I think, you know, it has a lot to do with, uh, with the Roman Empire of the time, historical reasons. But, but, uh, but it's the Holy Land where God chose to enter into humanity. There are so many places in the Holy Land. You could just go through the rosary mysteries and... 
recount all of them, whether it's Nazareth and the home there, the Basilica, whether it's Ein Kerem and the Church of the Visitation. Lots of people love the Mount of Beatitudes, so the so the proclamation of the kingdom, the transfiguration. I, I know some people in the Holy Land right now on pilgrimage, and so I see their pictures, and they're standing yesterday right outside um, the Church of the Transfiguration on Mount Tabor. For you, what was one of the most breathtaking places or surreal places of being on pilgrimage in the Holy Land? Oh, gosh, you know, um, I, I love the Sea of Galilee, as you mentioned, just being on the Sea of Galilee in a boat and uh, just uh, spending a, a, some quiet time there, reading the scriptures, reflecting on the scriptures. That's one of the great highlights for me. Um, but what you can see from the boat uh, onto the shore there, uh, one of my favorite places is a place that's, that's rarely visited actually by pilgrimage groups because it's a, a little bit of a challenge to get to. You have to walk up a hill. It's called the Eremos Cave. Uh, Eremos means in Greek, uh, kind of a wilderness or out of the, the out of the way place is where Jesus went to pray. You know, so often in the, in the, in the gospels, we see Jesus uh, leaving his very active ministry to go to be alone, to, to pray. And in this Eremos cave, that's, it's the place where early, the early disciples, the early Christians pointed out from very early times as the, that place where Jesus prayed. And to, so to, to walk up the hill, it's, uh, it's one of the few places in the Holy Land that doesn't, ha that doesn't have a church built over it, doesn't have a parking lot. You know, it's just right, right in the middle of this hill. The Mount of Beatitudes is right above it. But, uh, but right there is this cave where Jesus prayed, his solitary time. And so to, to be in that cave, uh, it's just a little, a little grotto, and um, but but caves remain, you know. So that's part of its authenticity. We know we know that was the place, and but it looks out when you when you're in the cave, looking outward, you see the whole Sea of Galilee from above, and and that was the cave where Jesus saw his disciples at night, you know, fishing on on this on the waters and and. Uh, moving from place to place where he saw the storm arise and where his uh, disciples were in trouble. And he walked across the water then to, to rescue them. That great encounter with Peter there on the waters. Um, so that Eremos cave, I would say is, you know, just took my breath away. And it's, it's a place where I always try to bring pilgrimages for, for some quiet time. If you watch The Chosen, uh, I, I love the, the scenes of The Chosen. Uh, it does some of the same things that a pilgrimage does. You know, it kind of re, uh, allows us to, to be in the place, to encounter those, those characters and those, those scenes. And uh, I think it, it does quite a, quite a nice job of that. And it's very interesting you mentioned that place. I've never been there. And yeah. I actually was very blessed. I spent 10 weeks in the Holy Land with my seminary. We stayed uh, for four weeks in Bethlehem, three weeks in Jerusalem, and a week in Nazareth. So we saw a lot of places that people don't see. That was not one of them in my recollection, but I would love to go there and uh, to be able to experience that. I know for me, there was this cave that we went to, and I don't know where it was, but it was supposedly the place where Elizabeth took John the Baptist and they hid during the slaughter of the Holy Innocents. And it's one of my favorite pictures that I took in the Holy Land was 
the painting on the cave wall of Elizabeth protecting John the Baptist. And so I don't know if you're aware of that place or if you've been there, but that that one for me was striking in a different way. Again, probably because it's out of the way and not a lot of people know about it or even go there. Yes, there's there's lots of those kinds of places in the Holy Land. Um, you know, the the most popular places, of course, are those filled with the with the tour buses. But there's a lot of these little smaller places that. Uh, in fact, I, I wrote a book. I don't know if you're aware of my pilgrimage book called Holy Land Pilgrimage. It's very much like um, uh, the the Way of Mercy on on the, my Poland book. It's filled with my own photography, and uh, at each site I. Uh, do a, a biblical reflection and uh, litany and prayer at the site. So it can be done with uh, when you're on pilgrimage or for even more people uh, to be kind of an armchair pilgrimage, you know, to be able to experience these places through the photography and through the descriptions and through the prayer um, if you're not able to go on, on an actual pilgrimage to these places. That's remarkable. And let's talk a little bit about your other book, uh, The Way of Mercy, A Pilgrimage in Catholic Poland. So this is something you've done. You did the pilgrimage book for the Holy Land. And now for Poland, uh, what struck you about Poland? Why, why promote pilgrimage to Poland? How many times have you been there, too? Um, well, you know, I would say that my second favorite place to go uh, after the Holy Land uh, is Poland. Uh, I, I only discovered it about 10 years ago. Uh, actually, my first uh, trip to Poland was with, uh, with a group uh, led by uh, a Jewish woman, Eva Moses Kor. She was a survivor of, of the Holocaust. She was taken to Auschwitz with her, with her family. Uh, the rest of her family were immediately uh, killed, uh, but she and her twin sister, were saved for the experimentation, the, the medical experimentation of the infamous Dr. Mengele. And, uh, and so she has these horrible stories of her time there at, at Auschwitz, but, uh, but she and her twin sister were eventually liberated um, toward the end of the war. And, um, but she has uh, taken on this ministry, this, this service of bringing people there to, to Poland and particularly to, to Auschwitz and to study the, the Jewish tradition there, which is very rich and beautiful. Uh, but, uh, but then it, it leads to, to the death camps. But the thing about Eva was, that's most uh, impressive is that about, about 20 years before her death, she learned about the experience of forgiveness. She learned that she could free herself from all of this anxiety and all of this desire for, for revenge that had plagued her life ever since Auschwitz. Um, she could forgive her persecutors and thereby save her life. And, and she, because of that, she is one of the most uh, beautiful, uh, joyful people I've, I've ever met. So that was a wonderful introduction to the whole um, experience of Poland through the, through the experience of, of the Jews, particularly the Second World War. Um, but after that, um, is, it was actually the, the Jubilee of Mercy 
you know, that was called by Pope Francis, I think in 2014. And during the Jubilee of Mercy, I was thinking, what could I do during this year to, to contribute to this, you know, the, this Catholic experience, this global experience of, of, uh, of mercy? And so I, I, uh, I did, I developed a, a parish mission, missions and retreats, and I did about 30 missions and retreats uh, for the first six months of that uh, Jubilee of Mercy year. And then I led a pilgrimage to Poland uh, because St. Faustina and St. Maximilian Kolbe and, and certainly St. John Paul II, uh, it, it's this whole awareness of the mercy of God, which has resurged in the church because of their, their life and their writings. Um, that led to this jubilee of mercy and 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 I think the whole attraction of of Poland in in recent years, but uh, so I led a pilgrimage there, the first pilgrimage that I led, and then I've been back several times. My most recent visit actually was right before I I I read the uh, I wrote the book, and that was uh, by car. I just rented a car and went by myself to all of all the places of Poland that are included in that book, which are a lot more places actually that are included that are than are included in a in a normal 12 day pilgrimage. But um, but as you see in the book, I, I took lots of photos and uh, and uh, descriptions of all of those places. Uh, and, and as I said, a lot more places that you find in Poland that are that are not included in what I hope to do uh, is after I lead a, a couple of more pilgrimages to, to Poland, which are the standard kind of uh, focusing on John Paul and St. Faustina, uh, to lead a, a pilgrimage to the other places. And, and there, just as in the Holy Land, there are lots of them, you know, lots of other places that are included in that book that, uh, that people would want to go see. Um, you know, and then we can talk about some of those as we go along, but, uh, uh, so that's, that's been my, and, I, and I'll be leading another one next year, uh, which is on my website, and uh, you can find out about uh, that pilgrimage and, and all the pilgrimages uh, on my website, which I'm sure you will, will mention later on. Yeah, definitely. We'll link that in the show notes and uh, definitely promote that too. And maybe if you need a priest, I could volunteer as tribute <laughs> to go Terrific. with you. Yes. But uh, yeah, I've never been to Poland, actually. It's one of those places I've wanted to go. I, I had a priest friend go to Poland. Uh, one of my classmates just visited this past year, and he remarked to me about the pilgrimage and shared with me a lot about it. So I would love to, to see it myself and, and to appreciate really the Catholic devotion of, of this country, because it, it is such a Catholic country. It's given us great saints like uh, St. Faustina or John Paul II. And you were talking about forgiveness and Ava, uh, your tour guide, the Jewish lady. And so how beautiful that also then we on pilgrimage in Poland encounter forgiveness and mercy, especially through divine mercy, through the ministry of John Paul II. And did divine mercy and John Paul II, were they maybe a part of your spirituality beforehand, or have you been touched in a new way as a result of going to these holy places in Poland? Um, you know, St. John Paul has, well, since his election in 78, actually, I was, I was present in Rome doing my graduate studies there. And uh, uh, 
encountered his, you know, was there at his election and his inaugural mass and all of that. And uh, he's been a great hero of mine through through the decades. And uh, so I I followed his his writings and and spirituality and papacy ever since. But um, but Saint Faustina uh, was is fairly new to me. I I discovered her primarily through the Jubilee of Mercy. Um, I read her diary and, and lots about the uh, the devotion of Divine Mercy, and uh, and it's just it's just fascinating, you know. But when you go to Poland and you study the history of Poland, you realize that um, you know during the Second World War, Poland suffered more than any other nation, you know, by far, and um, and it's that suffering. You know, they were invaded by the Nazis from the West and then by the Soviets from uh, Russian communists from the, from the East. And, uh, and as a result of being right between those two, you know, evils of, of the 20th century and suffering so horrendously as a people through that. Um, but out of that suffering came great sanctity. And, and that's... I think that's what has made Poland what it is today. This this uh, glorious Catholic country that's known for its its saints. There's so many Polish saints in addition to Saint John Paul and 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 Saint Faustina, um, but it's that that sanctity which has really been present through all of Polish history from 966. And in the year 1966, Poland celebrated its millennium of Christianity. And that was a a very important event for for the nation led by by, uh, blessed uh, Stefan Wyszynski, the great uh, primate of Poland, recently made blessed by the church. And another great saint, great hero of the Polish people. I, I read his biography before writing this book, and, and he's another great, great um, saint of, of the Polish church. You know, Poland is sometimes called the, well, actually, Krakow, uh, my favorite city in Poland, is called the, the Rome of the North, because there are more, uh, of, all the, of all the cities in the world, there are after Rome, it has more more Catholic churches than, than any other. And most of those churches are dedicated to the saints of, of Poland. Uh, you know, so, so for that reason, it's, it's rich, rich history, it's beautiful Catholicism, uh, it's history and legacy of great saints, particularly the, the modern saints of our day. Uh, those are all very important reasons to uh, to go to Poland, either in an armchair pilgrimage through this book, or if possible, to uh, to go there yourself on pilgrimage. Well, this is a podcast dedicated to the Blessed Mother. I'm a Marian theologian. I love promoting devotion to Our Lady, and I know Poland has their own share of Marian shrines. Looking through your book, and you talked about uh, you know some of these lesser known places, and maybe wanting to lead people there. I'm sure like the Church of the Ten Evangelical Virtues of the Blessed Virgin Mary, like that's probably not a highly sought after place. If I had to guess, it's it's not up there amongst the lists of the birthplace of John Paul II or St. Faustina and the Divine Mercy and whatnot. 
But yet there's something there about the virtues that Mary expressed. And the Marians of the Immaculate Conception, who are the publisher of your book, they actually promote uh, the chaplet of the 10 virtues of Mary. So, um, you know, that's one place that kind of just stood out to me right away as I was paging through the Marian section that you offered. I know the Marians have a shrine uh, that they oversee there, the Our Lady of Lichen, or I, I'm sure I'm slaughtering that, but what was your impression of the Marian devotion of the Polish shrines and people? Well, it's, it's everywhere for a person devoted to, to Our Lady. Uh, Poland is, a, is just a beautiful place from the little uh, roadside shrines to the little altar devotions on every street corner. Um, you know, the, the Polish people love Mary and uh, you know, most people know, I think, that Our Lady of Czestochowa is the great Marian shrine in Poland, uh, the shrine of Our Lady of uh, Jasna Gora, the, the, uh, the bright mountain. Um, and Our Lady has saved Poland in countless ways uh, by means of, through the, through the uh, instrumentality of that beautiful image of, of Our Lady of Jasna Gora or Our Lady of Czestochowa. Um, most people I think are familiar with that image. It's, it's an image of the sorrowful mother and, and that image has been um, uh, defaced many times in history. In fact, there's, you can still see two very prominent scars on that image on, on Our Lady's face. And, and that's, that's part of the image now. It, it can't, it's, they've tried to restore it and they can't get out the scars. And I think that's very significant that uh, just like our Lord who uh, maintains the, the scars or the, the wounds of his passion in his resurrected state, so too this image of Our Lady, you know, maintains her, her scars, the slashes of, of those who hated her. Um, so people from Our Lady of Czestochowa is right in the middle of Poland. Every pilgrimage goes there, and it's uh, just a, a remarkable place. The people of Poland go there on their knees oftentimes. Uh, they, uh, they go there after their first communion, after significant uh, events in their lives, after getting married or to prepare for marriage. Uh, she's the queen of Poland, no doubt about it, and uh, it's just a beautiful devotion there. Now, the other place you mentioned uh, is called Lycan or Lycan Stari. Um, it's, uh, it's a little bit north of uh, Warsaw. It's the largest, actually, church, the, the largest church in Poland, uh, established just uh, a few decades ago by, by the Marian Fathers, uh, as you said, who published this book. Uh, they have a wonderful devotion to Our Lady as you well know, but this, this Basilica to Our Lady of, of Lycan um, is, is, a, is a beautiful place. It's, very, it's a modern church, but it's filled with beautiful historical uh, murals and, and paintings of, of Our Lady. And, and right at the high altar is the image, a very small image of Our Lady of Lycan, Our Lady of Sorrows uh, there, which has a, a beautiful story behind it, which I uh, uh, talk about in the book, but, but that, uh, that uh, uh, the forest there, there there's, there's two saints who are uh, of different generations, two men who uh, encountered Our Lady and, and found that image and, 
and uh, led to the devotion of that image of Our Lady of Lycan. Um, it's, a, it's a wonderful devotion to get to know and uh, a beautiful place to go in Poland. When it comes to uh, Marian pilgrimage or when it comes to pilgrimage in general, lots of places you can visit. You've already mentioned some of the out of the places, out of the way places in the Holy Land. What's one place that people don't often visit in Poland that you would take someone to? Um, you know, I, I mentioned my, my love of uh, Cardinal, now blessed Cardinal Stefan Wyszynski. Um, there in, in, in Warsaw, of course, is the cathedral where he's buried, where he was a uh, shepherd. And, um, and there's a, a new church that was just recently built, a very modern church, but very beautiful in many ways. It's a round, uh, it's a round structure. It's called the Church of Divine Providence, right outside of, of Warsaw. And it's really devoted to, um, to all the, the saints and heroes of Poland through the ages, but with a particular emphasis on Cardinal Wyszynski. Cardinal Wyszynski was just beatified, I think, uh, last year or the year before. Uh, but he is in any place associated with Cardinal Wyszynski in, in any way you can get to know his life better um, would be a, a great blessing. Uh, also, just right above the, the Church of Divine Providence, Providence uh, you go up by elevator and there's this wonderful museum uh, that I just saw for the first time when I was on uh, pilgrimage myself by car. Uh, it's called the Museum of John Paul II and Primate Stefan Wyszynski, devoted to, to those two who, you know, really loved one another. You remember that beautiful scene after the election of John Paul II, where all the cardinals are, are coming to, to pay homage to the, to the new pope, and Wyszynski came up and uh, John Paul got out of his seat, embraced him, and... Um, and, and that expression of love for Cardinal Wyszynski, who was really the um, kind of the spiritual father of, of Wojtyla. Um, uh, Stefan Wyszynski led Poland all throughout the, the communist period and um, led them through a period of great, uh, great suffering and sorrow, but, um, but was present for, for the election of John Paul II. And uh, actually, he died shortly after John Paul II's assassination attempt in 1981. So the way that the, the lives of those two uh, great saints of our church were woven into one another is very much depicted in this beautiful new mu museum, which I would encourage anyone to go to. I, I would just in, in mention one more saint. Uh, that that I love, uh, whose devotion is also in Poland, Saint Edith Stein. Wow. Edith Stein was, of course, a uh, German, and 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 the uh, the town of uh, Braswav was part of Germany before the war, but re uh, came back to be included in the territory of Poland after the war. So. Uh, any devotion to Edith Stein is, uh, you know, you can go there to Wrocław, which where you find the Edith Stein house where she grew up uh, and where she was uh, converted to Catholicism in a beautiful story of, of conversion. Uh, she was a great scholar, 
a great uh, philosopher who also influenced St. John Paul II greatly with her, uh, with her uh, phenomenology philosophy. And uh, near the Church of St. Edith Stein is the Church of St. Michael the Archangel, where St. Edith Stein went uh, after her conversion to Catholicism. And there's a beautiful altar there devoted to Edith Stein. So any Edith Stein fans would certainly want to go to, to Poland to visit Wrocław and to, to see those places as well. Maybe one final question. As you've done your biblical scholarship, as you've gone on pilgrimage to the Holy Land, what, how do you see the crossover of your study of scripture with your experiences in, the, in Poland? Um, well, you know, I, it, it all comes from the scriptures. When you read, um, you know, the life of any of the Polish saints, you see the the impact that scripture has had on their lives. And um, in the book, in the meditative reflections that I that I do, I always bring up scripture and the impact of scripture on, on the lives of, of these saints. It's, it's the life of Christ and, and the life of Mary, his mother, and, and, uh, and their lives that have been the, the primary influences on the sanctity that has developed through the various historical situations in Poland that led to, to the sanctity that marks their lives. And so there's, uh, you know, it, it all comes from the scriptures, I would say. That's what I, you know, and so in my, my own ministry, my own work, that's what I hope to, to help people to do, you know, to start with the gospels, the life of Christ, but to go to also to be impacted by those parts of the scriptures that, that I think, uh, unfortunately, Catholics don't put enough inf influence on. Um, I remember Pope Benedict when he called the, for the year of Paul, I don't remember exactly what year that was, but I think maybe 2011 or 12 or something like that. But, uh, but, but the, the books, the letters of Paul, I think is something that's, that are not preached about very, mu very much. Catholics don't, unfortunately, don't read them very much. But, uh, but my own work, I try to, to help people to do that by writing these biblical studies, threshold Bible study on many of the letters of Paul, uh, weaving the writings of Paul through the various thematic studies that I've written, like forgiveness. Um, but I think that if Catholics would delve more into the writings of Paul and, and, and reflect on them, I always encourage Catholics to read the Bible with a guide. You know, they're very, it's very difficult just to pick up the Bible and start reading. You know, certainly that can be done. But to read the scriptures with a guide who's able to bring out the context of the whole of the scriptures and the context of, of the history of the church and its teachings on these passages, I think that's, that's the way to enter into scripture in a deep way, the way that the church calls us to, to enter into scripture and make scripture a regular part of our, of our Catholic lives. One of my favorite verses from the scriptures comes from the letter to the Hebrews in which the author, maybe Paul, maybe someone else, 
He says that we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses that spur us on to victory. And that's truly what the saints do for us. That's the purpose of Mary. She's spurring us on to victory in Christ. We have all of the different Polish saints, the ones we mentioned, John Paul II, St. Faustina. Uh, we have St. Casimir, uh, so many others, uh, St. Stanislaus Koska. So we think of the saints and how they are uh, the great cloud of witnesses and how their life testify uh, to the glory of God. And so uh, your book, The Way of Mercy, Pilgrimage in Catholic Poland, really will help us to see that great cloud of witnesses and, uh, and to see how they prayed, how they worshiped, and uh, to see those very places important in their life. So uh, I've been speaking with Stephen Binns today, uh, who wrote this book with four, uh, Marian Press. And if people want to learn more about your Bible studies, your pilgrimages, what's your website, and uh, how can they get a copy of the book? Okay, yeah, my website, which you can find about all my, my other writings, uh, and particularly Threshold Bible Study, uh, and my pilgrimage is coming up. Uh, go to bridge-b.com. Very simple, bridge-b.com. Uh, kind of the umbrella term for my, for my work uh, is uh, bridge building opportunities. So, uh, or you can just Google me or Google bridge building opportunities and it'll it'll come up. But that's that's uh, kind of a the best way to to look and see what I what I've done. Um, and but I want to thank thank you too, Father Edward, for your for your work. You know, I've I've as you mentioned at the beginning, I uh, I've used your uh, rosary litany. Actually, I used it for a, a pilgrimage, uh, a Marian pilgrimage. We traveled from Lourdes to Fatima. And lots of very important places for Carmelite spirituality and uh, Santiago de Compostelo in between those two places. But uh, but we arrived in Fatima on May 13th, of course, and and uh, saw uh, estimates were at least a half a million people gathered there, uh, chanting, uh, you know, to Mary, holding candles aloft. Uh, that was one of the most beautiful experiences of my life. And uh, as you, as, you know, as I said, we focused on, on Mary. Uh, I introduced people into various ways of praying the rosary and various Marian litanies and uh, uh, Marian consecration, 33 days to divine, to uh, morning glory. And, uh, and lots of, uh, of ways to enter into a deeper devotion to Mary by following that beautiful path. So thank you for your for your Marian work and for inspiring the uh, Marian devotion in, in so many different ways. Yeah, it's truly, uh, you know, my life was touched by the prayers of Mary. And now uh, that's one thing I love to do as a priest, to share my own love and spirituality uh, and devotion to her. Uh, and, and what I've learned uh, all throughout my life. And these conversations, conversations with you and others uh, help to bring Mary in another way as well today as we talked about her in Poland and her presence there as well. So thanks so much, uh, Stephen, for joining me today. And I'll do my best to put uh, all the links to everything we mentioned in the show notes. Wonderful. Joy being with you.